0: Hey everyone, Yasmin here. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're taking the opportunity to highlight our top episodes from last year. If you're an avid listener or a new listener of the podcast, chances are you may have missed one of these game-changing interviews. I hope you're having a great summer and that you enjoy this week's rebroadcast. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my new company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Pile Kadakia, to our show today. Pile is the founder of ClassPass, the leading fitness and wellness membership that was acquired by MindBody in October 2021. Prior to its acquisition, ClassPass was valued at over a billion dollars with members logging more than a 100 million hours of workouts across 30,000 partner studios in over 30 countries. And if that wasn't impressive enough, Pyle is also the founder and artistic director of the Saw Dance Company, which she founded in 2009 with a mission to increase awareness of Indian dance in the mainstream. Pyle has also been featured in most every major news outlet and has been listed as Fast Company's 100 most creative people and was named to Fortune's 40 under 40 list. She's also written her very first book called life pass which is officially available on february 15th and We're going to be talking all about it today on this episode. I've been an OG customer of ClassPass since they launched, and Pyle has been a huge inspiration on my entrepreneurial journey. So I'm personally super excited for this interview. And we're going to be talking about a whole host of topics from how to cultivate the right mindset for your goals and Pyle's step-by-step approach to going after the life you want. We also have a very candid conversation about the early years of ClassPass and how it took over three years to see any traction in her business and of course her biggest learnings along the way and so much more welcome to the show pile it's such an honor to have you with us today thanks for having me jasmine I'm so excited and I'm so glad I was just telling you you wrote your book because there's so much for us to dig into today that I know we're going to be missing stuff. So I'm excited for our listeners to get to know you and for us to talk about your story. And with that, we'll jump into it. Let's do it. So I'd love to start with actually a big picture question. Can you talk about your relationship with risk and what you learned about risk specifically from your parents?
1: Well, you know, I grew up with Indian parents who immigrated here to the U.S. in the 70s. And while they took a huge risk in their life, right, and were here to take have dreams and get opportunities, I think when it comes to their kids, they want to make sure that they've sort of taken the risk and that your life will be easy, right? My parents never wanted me to have to go through any type of struggle, any type of Hardship that they went through. So they trained me in a way to be a bit more risk averse. And what that meant was making sure I had stability, good career, good education, good foundation. And that's what they focused on. And so my childhood, I would say, was pretty much more built on those more stable parts of myself that would give me that good education, give me that good balance in my life. And then I think as I got older and I started really trusting that I could rely on that foundation and go for something that also was making my passion and my heart open up, I think that's when I started thinking about risk in a different way, which I consider to be calculated risk, which is, okay, let me go and take a little bit of a leap. That doesn't mean jump off a cliff. How do I make sure I have the right money to do so, the right you know, skill set to make sure I'm not going out there without having a good plan B, all of that. And eventually I decided to really screw the plan B and just go for <laughs> it. But it was part of my process of calculating risk throughout.
0: Yes. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later. And I know another aspect, you know, you mentioned your parents came here from India and it was really important for them to maintain the culture. So from a young age, I believe by the age of three, they put you in Indian dance classes, which is, I know a huge passion of yours, but I'd love to hear more about that and how you think it really set up the foundation of the woman you are today. Cause I know it's such a big part of who you are.
1: Yeah. You know, I think when I was younger, I was put into Indian dance as something my parents wanted me to do, as you mentioned, to stay connected to my culture. I think they didn't realize how much of it was going to affect me and how, in what capacity it was going to actually really change my life. And I think a few things happened. One was just being around other Indian girls, right? I think I grew up in a town, didn't have many Indian friends, was somebody who didn't look like everyone else around me. And while I struggled to fit in, I think I also found beauty in who I was through being around this other group of people who didn't look like me and where all of us could be together on Saturday and Sunday mornings, learn this, you know, these communal sort of dances where we would really learn about the women we came from. And I think that was really transformative for me to learn about who I was. And on the flip side, and I kind of talk about this in the book too. Yes, I was put into Indian dance classes, but I also was immersed in Bollywood or Hindi films at the time and got to see women like Devi and Madhuri Dixit dance. And I think seeing them light up the stage and be beautiful and have people sort of love them and want their energy, it made me also feel like an Indian woman. I had power and I had resilience to me and this amazing sense of sharing something that of where I came from.
0: Yeah, and you talked so much about your guru at the time, who I know you're still close with, Usha Auntie. I'd love for you to share more about her because she played such a pivotal role in really your childhood and upbringing. Yeah,
1: well, you know, we have this thought of a guru, right, in Indian, which is really someone who bestows knowledge upon you, right? And that's really what it comes down to, and you respect them so much. And even though at the time I may have not appreciated all of it, she was teaching me a way of life, right? She was teaching me how to show up for life, right? It was be on time, have your hair done, make sure you know all the steps, perform your best. If you didn't, you would get the side eye. And of course, like that's a little bit more of a intense practice session for any little girl to go through. I think it taught me a lot because if I didn't know how to do a step, I didn't give up. I would sit there and work towards it and figure it out. And while she maybe was motivating me because I didn't want to get yelled at, it was still a way for me to learn for myself that I could accomplish something I put my mind to, right? Whether it was with my body or if it was mentally, you know? And I think those skills and those lessons we learn when we're younger are so important. And she till this day will push me. She's that person who if I call her and say something, she'll always have like the right answer and and almost like the thing I don't want to hear to be like, (laughs) ah, like, okay, I'll give it even more work or I'll put more energy into it because she knows how to get the best out of me. And she knows if I'm not trying to take a shortcut, but if I'm not doing myself justice. And I think it's important for us to surround ourselves with coaches and leaders and people in our lives who will do that for us.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned how dancing and being part of your Indian community was so core to your upbringing. And something interesting about your parents that I've heard you talk about in another interview is, you know, they really took a risk and lived in another town where there wasn't a lot of Indian people, but they were there because of your education, which I think is very unique for them coming here. And you talk a lot about how your life is centered around the number two. So I'd love for you to talk more about that and you know why it centers around two.
1: Yeah. And guess what? We're in the year 2022, which is incredible. Yeah, your birthday's and my book, coming up. I know. My birthday's coming up, February 2nd, which is a big part of the number two. And my book is launching in February of 2022. So I guess it all works out. But I think you know, growing up, I always just had this affinity to the number two. I think we all kind of pick lucky numbers. It was sort of my tech name, like Pile222 was my AOL3 name. And then, you know, I lived with duality my whole life, whether it was Indian American, business creative. I think there was more than that, you know, that I always faced. And I think the the crux of it was really, obviously my birthday is February 2nd. I met my husband on my birthday, which was February 2nd. And I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, and goodness. then I'll give you another one. When I finally found out I was pregnant. I asked the doctor what the due date was, and it was February 2nd, even though he ended up being born three days uh, ahead of it. But yes, what are the chances of that? I mean, it would have been crazy if he was born on my birthday. But it's just one of those things where I feel like the number two has just always really been prevalent in my life. Whether it is written in something or not, I go with it.
0: I love that. And just going back to your childhood a little bit, you actually didn't know you were living this dual life. And I know that's a through line and a theme that we'll talk about throughout your entire career. But looking at your childhood, I know there was a formative experience. I believe it was on a talent show in third or fourth grade. i love for you to talk about that because I think there's so many people who might be listening who can resonate with a similar story.
1: Yeah. So I decided to sign up for my talent show in third grade and I decided to do an Indian folk dance because that was my talent, right? Like I was very good at it in obviously the world I was in and in my community. And I went on stage and little by little people started to sort of booing me because yes, it was a cultural experience that I think the world wasn't ready for at the time. And obviously the kids in my school were not ready for, and I remember feeling really embarrassed. And I think that's what started this whole part of hiding who I was a bit To feel accepted. And, you know, I became a cheerleader. I learned how to sort of fit in and live the life I was supposed to. Did it feel right? No, you know, but I think that's how I dealt with it to keep myself feeling normal
0: when Mm. I was younger.
1: And I learned that that was not the key in doing it. And it took me, I would say, to get to college, to sort of embrace my Indian side, embrace my passion for dance that started allowing me to start feeling all the threads of me coming together. And so by the time I was in college, I was starting a dance troupe on campus, and I started feeling like people who were coming to our culture shows were Indian and non-Indian, and they loved watching us dance. It wasn't just the Indian people who liked my dancing. It was everyone. And I realized that dance for me actually became a way to share a message and a story about where I had come from. And that's really, I think, when it started changing for me from being – This place that I was scarred from and a place of, wow, I don't belong to a place of sharing more and teaching people really about the woman I was and where I had come from
0: shifting gears a little bit, looking at your journey, right? People might look at you and think that you're the founder of ClassPass and you know you started this business overnight. But the truth is so much of your leadership and risk tolerance, which you've kind of touched upon you know, already in this interview, came from years before. So I'd love for you maybe to talk about some of those experiences because it's just such a good learning lesson for people who are listening who might want to do the leap but don't feel like they have the confidence yet to take that next step.
1: ClassPass, you know, in a way started by me putting on a 100-person dance show. And I know that feels small, but it was a big thing for me back then, right? I had just graduated from college. I was in the middle of New York City. It was three years out. I had started a dance company, you know, in the real world, not in the college capacity, which is also still shielded. This was in the real world. I had put something out there. I had been spending money. I rented out a space. I had no idea if anyone was going to show up and how they were going to feel. And I decided to take the risk. I rented the space. I got people to show up. And we sold out. I remember walking out and seeing the walls lined with people because we didn't have enough seats. And I think when everyone gave us a standing ovation at the end of that show, I felt very confident in knowing that, wow, I should really be going towards these feelings that my heart is telling me to, that... These things that I feel are really what my gift is. I should go towards it versus shield it away because I feel like this is not the right job for me to have because that's what society has told me to do. And so it was moments like that in my journey that kept pushing me forward. And it wasn't just that it was successful. It was, wow, like I found a way to coordinate all these girls, you know, put on the show. I started doing bigger shows after that and I learned how to get a stage manager, a lighting designer, you know, all these different components that you need to do to produce a show. And I didn't know how to do that before. And starting a company is no different. And needing to find marketing people, engineers, people who can do this or that task, I realized it was the vision I had that powered everyone through it and that I could communicate effectively, I could lead, I could get people to go where. I wanted them to, in order to create something bigger. And those were small steps in the journey. But, like you said, they taught me the leadership. They taught me the they gave me the confidence that I could put my mind to something and make it happen.
0: Absolutely. And you started the dance company. You mentioned three years living in New York. And prior to you working at Warner Music, you were at Bain, right? You did the check mark. You went to grade school, got that consulting job. And I think it's important to talk about, you know, this one meeting with your manager who asked you hard questions because in life, you know, that's something you talk a lot about that we all should be asking these questions. So I'd love for you to share that experience.
1: Yeah. And I opened the whole book with this story and I didn't think it was that pivotal of a moment in my life. To be honest, even when I was writing the book, I didn't realize how pivotal it was, but it truly was. I was working at Bain, and I was also dancing with a local dance troupe, and we got asked to perform at this event for the opening of the Aishwarya Rai statue at Madame Tussauds. And it was a huge event. There was like press going to be there. We were getting dressed by, I think, Pyle Singal for it. Like It was amazing. It was a huge event. And this was 10 years ago, right? This was sort of even... I think before there was any representation even. So any of these events were just really important. And I, like I said, they didn't happen very often. So I really wanted to make sure I was there. I had to call my boss and say, hey, like we had a client meeting at the time, but I really wanted to go to the performance. She was like, sure, go to the performance. That's fine. You don't need to really be at this meeting. Didn't really say much. And it was fine. I went to performance. I told her about it. She was happy. And then a few months later, we're sitting in you know my annual review that we're having And she sort of brings up this thing where she was like, I don't know if this is the right job for you and this is what you want to be doing. And in my life, like no one's ever said that to me. I've been like, get into MIT, go and get into MIT, do well at MIT, do well, get straight A's, all of that. I had known how to, like you said, check every box. And this was sort of the first time where I was checking the box, but it wasn't exceptional, right, in the way that I feel like I always would overperform. And my initial reaction was, I'm going to prove to her I can do this and that I deserve to be here and that, you know, I'm 100% into this. And very quickly, as I was going through that process, my heart really started speaking to me and I started realizing I don't want to be here. She actually was right. Her question to me came from an actually very honest place because I didn't want to be there. I was forcing myself to be there. And I think once I recognized that, I was able to have the real conversation with myself about taking some other steps in my career that would help me move towards where I want to be.
0: Hey, everyone. It's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burned out, not living my truth, and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness, and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month, and that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances, Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com free. Once again, it's beawellness.com free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. Listening, and now let's get back to the show. You know, you got that same calling. So I know you ended up just fast-forwarding a little bit, you know, going to Warner Music and it was more predictable of a schedule, right? So you were able to kind of balance yep. this dual lives that you had in a in a great way. But I want to talk about fast forwarding from there, you still had that pull of wanting to do your own thing or doing something different. And yeah. I want to talk about this because, you know, so many kids, including myself, who come from immigrant families, their parents want them to live more risk averse life, have that stable position. And, you know, we kind of live our lives for their own definition of success. So what was it in your life where you realized, I want to really go off on my own or take that leap to do something outside of even Warner Music and do something on your own accord? Was there a conversation with anyone or anything that comes to mind? Yeah. And
1: one thing I want to say just with that whole conversation, which I think is so important, is, so I feel really lucky that I found dance when I was younger because what it did for me was it gave me this place that honestly made me so happy, brought me so much joy that no check mark could sort of compete with it because it felt so good to do what I loved. And I think anyone who has a sense of purpose and a sense of passion that gives that to them, knows that. And I think that is really the one of the most important things for us to all follow because so many of the times, and even in my life, it sometimes felt like dance wasn't enough, right, to other people, but it was more than enough to me. And it couldn't even compete with those expectations and those accomplishments that everyone else wanted me to have. And that really is what helped me fight through it, right? So when I wasn't dating, right, or I wasn't doing things that everyone else was, I felt like I had this gift and this talent to give to the world. And when you have that, I don't know, you just really feel like so many of those things just don't hold any weight. And once I started recognizing that and actually running towards that, I think the world opened up for me to do more of what I wanted to. And what I did with my parents, and I think this is an important part and something I talk a lot about in the book is I overshared my journey with them. I think our instinct is to hide everything, right? Oh, I'm not going to tell them I'm doing this. I'm not going to tell them this is what where my heart really wants to go. I'm going to hide it. And I did the exact opposite. I, like, sent them every email anyone sent me about, like, oh, your dance company is so good or, wow, you did this. And even if it was at work, I just wanted them to have faith in me and that, you know, the risk that they had taken, it already paid off, right? So now let me go and let me fly, And I'm going to be okay. Like, you did your job. You should feel confident in that. And of course, like, I now need to go and do my own life and have it. And you've given me the best basis. But I really, in a way, needed to let them feel free of that burden in a way for themselves so I could fly. And so ultimately, this really came down to this one conversation I think that really changed my life was with my mom right around Thanksgiving where I started really just telling her how much I just didn't want to go to work, right? I'm sure we've all had that like Sunday night feeling where your stomach's sinking and I had just been home for the holidays and I just didn't want to go back on Monday. I was like, every ounce of me was fighting it. And I had had success with my dance company at this point. and, And my mom goes, you know what? Just quit. And I was so surprised to hear that from her. And look, I'm like 25, 26 at the time But she was just like, you've done everything we've ever told you to, and you've like outperformed. And even in the things like that you're still doing on the side, you're still outperforming. Like it's time to let you go and go fly. And of course, like along the way, there were hiccups. But my dad and I sat down, and I think this is another important part of it, is we put together a financial budget. So of course, like this was a risk, but once again, calculated risk. We put together a budget. We came up with like a plan for how many years I could sort of really go all in on this without having another job. And I think all these things gave me the confidence and gave them the confidence that, you know, we had all done the right thing up until now. Let's let go and see where this goes. And I've built enough of a foundation that I was never going to fall off the cliff.
0: Yeah, no, that's huge. And I'm just smirking because I know before the interview, I was just telling you how my dad, like yours, would always call me and tell me to go to business school and he'd just stop. So for your parents to come to that conclusion with you, I know is so impactful and huge. And, you know, one thing you mentioned that you were sharing all the best news with your parents and keeping them in the loop, maybe despite their wants of you, you know, maintaining your career. You also talk a lot about in your book the importance of boundaries with some people. And yeah. I want to talk about. You know, and this is what a lot of women might feel, right? You're in your late 20s. You are very focused on your career. There's a societal pressure to settle down or find the right partner. So I'd love to kind of just talk more about this and really the importance of boundaries when you are going for such a big dream and goal in your life.
1: So, and I know what you're talking about. It's the conversation I had around getting married constantly in my life, which so many of us have this constant conversation of you're not complete or you're not enough until you get married. And I felt it for a really long time. And you know, I, I say this in the book, and it's very, very true that like it's my biggest regret in my 20s was that I spent way too much time feeling inadequate because I wasn't on track to be to be getting married. But I had this incredible company that was taking off. And the world didn't know how to celebrate this. Like it started to, of course, but even though if the outside world is celebrating it, that doesn't necessarily mean everyone around you is still celebrating it, right? Your parents are your parents and are still going to be like, yeah, like we love all that, but we still like want to make sure you're loved and you have a home and you have a family. And of course, I, I think that's the important thing about this. It was coming from a good place, and I will never ever. My parents are the number one, like, champions and cheerleaders of my life. And they've always, I know, had the best interest. And I know it was coming from a place of love. But at that time in my life, I needed to have some space from it because I was going in and my team was growing every single day. And every single time I started the conversation with, oh, like, are you dating? And, and the marriage conversation, it just made me sad. And it would spiral me into this terrible place in my mind of feeling lonely and feeling like I was inadequate and I wasn't doing the right thing. And I needed to really get that out of my head. So I, I really like, I, there was times where my mom would call me and she'd be like, hi, like, how are you? And we would talk. And I, I love talking to my mom every day. And the second she would bring up anything about dating, I'd kindly be like, mom, I love you. I got to go. And I would hang up the phone. And that was my way of dealing with it, you know? And I think it's important that whether it's friends who bring up things for us, like family that brings up things for us that are just not serving us and our, our authentic life, we need to learn how to say no and, and cut it off because the second it gets into our mind, it spirals for us and it does not lead to anything productive. And we shouldn't feel guilty about it. We shouldn't feel bad about it. We should just be able to go towards what we really want to and be able to block those noises out.
0: And how important is... Setting those boundaries, like you said, it could be friends, people around you, when you're building a company, like how much of a success of a company boils down to your mindset?
1: 100%. You know, I mean, obviously execution is is very important, but my mindset and, you know, that's really what the first four chapters of this whole entire book that I wrote are really about is these different constraints that are in our, in our minds, whether it's feeling different, expectations, fear of failure, mindset is so important. And if it's cluttered, your decision-making is going to be cluttered. And so it's so important to have that clear vision, not be distracted, because you can then really focus on solving a problem. And let me tell you something, entrepreneurship is hard. You know, it is, there is no blueprint. Every decision you make leads to another 50 decisions you need to make. And you need to be very clear and fast in doing that. It's the only way you keep moving forward. So you really can't have your brain cluttered with too many other things.
0: Absolutely. And I love your book because I mean, a key theme through all these interviews that I've done with women like yourselves is mindset is so important and keeping your energy in the right place because like you said, you have to show up for a team, deal with so many fires in a given day and just, you yes. know, make all these decisions and you need the brain power to do that. Question I have for you, you are now in a place, you know, you mentor different founders, you advise different companies And I know you started ClassPass dealing with your own personal problem of wanting to find a class based on your busy schedule at the time. What advice do you have for founders who might want to start their company but don't really have an idea? Do you think it's always a good place to start with a problem that you're solving?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, when I went out to build ClassPass, entrepreneurship was not the hot job by any means, you know? And I think now that it feels obviously easier, there's so many tools in place. Actually, it's almost even more important to have a unique perspective And to be able to add something that is different to the Mm. landscape because so many people are out there. And I think that true unique part of it is going to come from something you deeply want to solve in the world, right? And that makes you equipped as a founder, right? We talk about product market fit a lot in entrepreneurship, but there's also something called founder market fit, which is, is this Mm. the problem you should be tackling, right? And I look at my life and I don't know any other person who probably would have the right background to have built class than me because of the different parts of me. And I actually bring that up because it's, I didn't always appreciate those sides, right? I, I would hide a few of them. And now looking back, I know that all those things made me the right person to solve that problem. And I think that's what people should be thinking about is like, what unique skills do you have at combined with things that you're passionate about that are going to position you to really go after something and solve it. Because it's not just about putting the tech and the marketing and all that together. It's about really using some creativity on it that's going to help something really connect and
0: start moving in a way that the world hasn't solved before. And you talk so much about the importance of always staying clear on your why and your mission because products can change. I know with ClassPass, right? It was like three years in the making. And just going back to those early days of ClassPass, I know at some point you lost 500K, but you really look at that time in your life and you advise people to not get caught up in the false signals of success. Like I want to underscore this because I think it's so important. So I'd love to just hear your journey, what you were going through in that time period.
1: Yes, and if any entrepreneur is listening, please listen to this part because it will spare you time and money because I wasted both in the beginning because no one told me this. I really obviously, like everyone else at the time, was just checking boxes of even what entrepreneurship was. Okay, get press, you know, get into an incubator, get followers, start building your website, make it look pretty. I was doing all the things. I raised capital, all these things that made me think I was succeeding, right? And then I launched the product and it did not work because I forgot that the most important thing, the only thing that actually mattered was someone going to class, right? Because that was the only way I was going to make money. That was the only way my customer was going to be happy. And that was the only way my partner was actually going to make money. And I knew that in the back of my mind, but because I was sort of building this thinking it had worked in other industries, I didn't look at it closely enough. I wasn't problem solving that. And that's really where the magic needed to be solved. And I really look back at it and I say these false signals of success because they are they're they make you think that you're succeeding, but they're not really the thing that matters, and that really shows you that your product is working and so after that, it actually happened to me, and I always really think about this. The day I became an entrepreneur was the day when my site failed that first time mm. because I never, ever even thought that it was going to be hard. it was nothing in my life was hard until that point. And, you know, I had all this amazing background and credibility that pushed me forward for those first years, you know, and then all of a sudden it did not work. And I had to really, really put in the work. Like that was really when the work started. And thank goodness, like you said, I cared so deeply about what I went wanted to solve because it would have been totally fine to quit at that time, right? And just kind of be like, yeah, well, we raised money. It didn't work, blah, blah, blah. But we went from a great, nice office to like, Firing half of our team and then going back to this small office that we, I remember like it was this on the second floor, we, we literally were sharing it and just had a little room that was at another company because that was all we could afford and we wanted to be able to save our costs. And that was, like I said, when the magic really started because we started talking to our studios, we started going to class more, really analyzing what was going on in the industry. And that's when we were able to really solve the problem we, we, we started on.
0: Yeah. And I love to hear, and I totally agree with this, being scrappy and having your hands involved in the problem really allows you to figure out what your product is sometimes, like really being with the customer. So I want to talk about how scrappy you were, because I think sometimes people get intimidated with starting a business where you can just do these more simple, or I don't know if you want to call it simple steps. And I know you did that in those days of ClassPass when you're trying to find version two.
1: Yeah. So version two, which was this 30-day product that people could try different classes on. I mean, we took a month to put this one up, not a year. And it was so scrappy that a reservation would come in. It would literally go to one of our inboxes. We would call the studio, book the reservation on behalf of that client's name, and then they would show up. And it didn't matter. Like we would then be like, okay, send confirmation. It was literally, we were acting as a concierge, but it didn't matter because what we were trying to do is prove if the product was going to work. Before we built all this technology out, we wanted to make sure it would really work in real time. And I think sometimes we, we think technology will solve everything, but it doesn't, right? Especially when it's a real world problem. If I couldn't solve it in sort of like a real world setting with me booking the class, who cares if the technology can do it? And that's really when it started shifting for us. And eventually we got to the point where we needed technology to fulfill those reservations because there was too many, but that was a good problem to have.
0: You've talked about, you know, in that first version of ClassPass that didn't end up working you're very tied to everything being perfect, right? The website looking beautiful. And I think a lot of us or a lot of people struggle with perfectionism to the point where sometimes it doesn't even allow them to start that business yes. or to really yes. start their life. So how did you kind of get over that perfectionism and what advice do you have for anyone that's going through that today?
1: Yeah, I think this is a really good question. I actually think, like I said, this was the moment when I stopped thinking about it being perfect and started thinking about just making a difference in one person's life, not Five hundred, not even a thousand, and if I couldn't get one person to go to class, I was never going to get to the other numbers, right? And that's really when I started to feel that the impact of what I was doing—the getting someone to class—was more important than what, how pretty my site was, or what my logo looked like. And I think that turn was an important one. And even though, like I said, it came after a bunch of mistakes, I realized that I needed to focus in on not being perfect, but being impactful.
0: Yes. I love that. I think it's so important in anyone's life. And, you know, another big theme you talk about that you wish you knew earlier in your career is, I believe your name growing up was Hot Pepper. I have it. Oh, yeah. Think too. Yes, yes, yes. And you had a lot of emotions, but, you know, so many of us, including myself, were taught that emotions in business don't work. And like, I love you as an example because it's completely wrong. So I'd love for you just to kind of talk about your progression, using emotions when it comes to business and still building a sustainable company.
1: Yeah. I think when, and by the way, I was told that too, when I was younger, it was emotions. You look weak. You shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't have them. It's going to not show well. And by the way, then I was a dancer who was enormously effusive on stage. I mean, that is like the crux of Indian dance. And why I love it is it's so expressive and so emotional. And I felt like I was always hiding a part of who I was then when I went to work in business. And eventually when I started building ClassPass, I felt like all parts of me were going to come together because I deeply cared about what I was doing. Like the first time someone went to class, I cried, literally. And I think that's really how it should feel. Why work on something that you don't care about? And that is not going to either bring you joy or vice versa. And you know, especially when we talk about brand so much today. Brand is how people feel from your company and your product. How do we build these things if our offices and if our culture is devoid of it, you know? And I think that's really the crux of it is figuring out how do we inject that emotion in a way that feels good and a way that is productive because once again, we're all human, right? And I built this product for humans by humans. How are we going to not have emotion in there?
0: Yes. And I think sometimes people hide behind like the technology or emails or, you know, with their customers where it's like still at the end of the day, you might be transacting online, but the customer is a human being. Oh yeah. I mean,
1: I always say this data does not do your thinking for you.
0: I love that. It would be so much easier if it did, right? But it doesn't work of course.
1: like yeah. did not come out of crunching numbers. Yeah. It came out of talking to people and hearing people. And actually one of my favorite stories to tell is people always think ClassPass was succeeding when I had like thousands of customers. So that's when you assume like something is successful. I needed 150 customers to know it succeeded. And that's it. And it was the emails I got. I probably got maybe like five to 10, but it was the emails on what those people said that made me realize I had built this magical product. And it obviously was like flying off the shelves after that. But I just remember reading those emails like in month two or three of the subscription of people saying, this product changed my life. And I can't believe I've never loved working out so much when I was like, oh my God, we built a new behavior in the world. And this is really what we were trying to uncover the entire time. That's when I had really felt very proud of what we had done.
0: Yes. Oh, that's, that's huge. And similar in my business, those first hundred customers, I remember saving all those emails because when the going gets tight, like, did you ever do that or any hacks to kind of remember the why? <laughs>
1: oh yeah. My favorite was that every single time someone used to buy ClassPass, I would get a Stripe notification on my phone because we would track every single transaction. Right. And so anytime someone signed up and I re- always remember the day I had to turn that off.
0: Oh my god, I can't even imagine that.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. There came a point where I'm like, okay, I need to turn this off. Like it was too many. And I actually got remember feeling sad a little that day because I remember like what it took, right? To get like one or a hundred. Yeah. But but those are those are great problems. I very, very clearly remember those days.
0: I love that. Yeah. Good problem to have, but definitely I could see that being sad. One thing you've mentioned throughout the entire interview, it's so important to care about what you're building or just what you're involved in. And you've talked about this in another interview where you said, when you care so much, there's something about the universe that just supports you. Mm. So I love this because it might sound woo-woo to some people, but I wholeheartedly believe in this. So I'd love to just kind of hear your experience around that.
1: Right. So of course, like it can sound a little bit out there, but I do believe That when I was on the journey to solve this problem, even before that, even when I needed to figure out what career choices to make in my life, I really, truly felt the more I was doing things like dancing and that were more in line with my spirit and soul, the universe was opening up doors for me. Even like the day I quit, doors opened. And it was almost as I lived more closely in line with like my dharma, right, and my calling that... The world and like I said, the universe was just guiding a better path for me that was laid out. And of course, Class was hard, yeah. but I also remember feeling like the answers were coming to me because they were so innately in my story and in my why. And purpose.
0: Absolutely. And like energetically, you're bringing that into your life and you're in a good place to accept that. But I I just love talking through that. And wrapping up the interview a little bit, there's two other questions I want to talk about. You know, so much of your life from when you were at Bain to the tough days of class, class you even being a mom to your young, adorable son, Zane. Now, Dance has always been the through line of your life. And I think a lot of people, when the going gets tough, they kind of let go of their passions. They let go of what brings them joy and their creativity. What advice do you have for women listening who might not be fostering those passions of theirs that used to be there maybe when they were younger or earlier in their life because of just life?
1: I mean, that's the crux of why I started ClassPass. I just felt that we shouldn't ever give up on these things and people call them hobbies or whatever they might be. But they feed our soul. Not, it's not about our age at all. And we're never too old to play. And we have to constantly remember that and keep playing, keep learning, keep growing at every part in our life. And I think dance for me always provides a place for me to go feel like I can learn more, get better, also feel a sense of, of self and center. And I think we never should lose those things in our life and we should fight for them. And actually, the last part of my whole book is actually this goal setting method that I do. That helps me prioritize my personal life, my professional life, my family life. You know, everyone always asks me, how do you juggle like being ambitious and having a kid? But I'm like, I've been juggling my passion with work yeah. forever, you know, and it's very similar. It's it's fighting for how I want to live my life and sort of creating a, a road plan that is my timeline and no one else's. And I've been doing that since I was really young. And it's really a muscle to me now. And I really wanted to give other people a chance to live like that too, because that is really the key to my, not just my success, but my
0: happiness. Mm. And that's so, so key. And I think that just lights you up in all different areas of your life when you have that one passion that you still have in your life. And one last question I'd love to get your thoughts on, and I'm sure you get this a lot. I don't love the definition of balance, right? But I'm just curious in terms of, you know, your life right now with ClassFest, you guys raised your biggest round before COVID hit. Obviously, I know your son at the time was very, very young. And I'm just curious, you know, how are you managing this new life as a new mom and also keeping your passions, right? your book and staying involved with everything you want to be involved in.
1: I live my life, like I said, based on my priorities and life fast method that I do it's quarterly. So it changes because I agree. You can't pick every area to focus on. I mean, right now I'm going, you know, I have a book coming out and I am like close to hundred percent focused on that. It was my son's birthday this last weekend. So what I'm just very clear on like what I want to accomplish and how I want to do it. Because I like to do everything I do really well. And it's not about being perfect, it's about me feeling like I was able to put enough thought into it, not just kind of check it off. I'm just one of those people, if I'm gonna throw a birthday party for him, I want it to be thoughtfully done. If I'm gonna get a gift for someone, I want it to be thoughtfully done, right? If I'm gonna launch a book, I want it to do it in a creative way, not just the way everyone's going to expect me to do it. And I think that's really where the art of it is. And that's why you can't have too much on your plate And so it changes for me based on what is most important to me at the time and what my priorities are. And I let my priorities guide my time. I don't let
0: my time guide me. That's so key. And like you said, it ebbs and flows. And I don't have kids, but I get this question a lot from our audience, but there's a lot of women that deal with mom guilt, right? If maybe this phase in their life, they're prioritizing something in business or something outside of their kid. Have you ever dealt with that or any tactical tips to kind of get through that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I'll say about guilt in general, to me, my philosophy on guilt is when you love what you do and have so much great stuff to say yes to, you just don't have time for the no's and yes. the no's just fall off, right? Because it just doesn't fit in. There's just no place for it on the calendar, right? And I think that's like obviously easier for professional and personal things and things like obligations. With mom guilt, I think it's hard. You know, I think what I have learned to do is just be very, very focused on the time I do have with my son and feeling very present, like not being on my phone during those times and really cultivating the relationship I want with him and vice versa when I can and when I'm there and being able to just give him the best support and care I can if I'm not there. And that's that's really being the best mom too. Having him have good caretakers, whatever time I'm not there is a part of being a good mother. And I think that's really That's really what I've learned is I'm doing the best job I can. There are times where, of course, I like just miss him and I'm like, oh, my God, I just like want to be with him. I know that I also love what I do and I'm going to always be ambitious.
0: Yeah, and you don't need to pick one or the other. It's like they're both your loves, your child, your mission, and you manage them both. So I just love you kind of talking through that. And one last question I'd love to end with is... We've talked about throughout this entire interview, the power of dual identity, how it can sometimes come with challenges and suffering and feeling like you don't really fit in. Looking back at your life now and where you are today, how have you seen your dual identity only benefit you even outside of ClassPass?
1: I mean, I am so proud to be a unique human being. I feel like everything in my life was given to me in a way or not given to me or just it made it actually easier in a way because of the different strands of who I am, you know? And I think that is because I embraced it, right? And didn't run away from it. I think it becomes harder when we want to doubt those things and let other people doubt them. But I show up saying, these things make me great. And that's what makes me honestly exceptional in walking into a room or being able to make a decision. I just have that confidence in who I am, Yes, I didn't always have that, you know, and I think it takes time. But I think when you're in the right environments, I talk a lot about this in the book, is be careful, right? It's the people you're around, the environments you're in are going to affect how much of you you show. Like I think about being at that my job in corporate America. Was I like this at all? No way. Like those people there are probably, I remember when Class West started succeeding, were probably like, that girl did this? What? Because I was a total different human being in the office because I was in the wrong environment where I didn't feel confident. I think we have to all recognize that is sometimes we're just not in the right place. And we need to rethink that to really make ourselves shine because in a total different environment, I've completely was able to thrive. Mm-hmm. And now I know what environments I need to be in to thrive. And I am very, very careful and thoughtful about how I plan my teams and plan the projects I do and vice versa, because I know myself.
0: Oh, Pyle, I love all that. I'm so glad you wrote this book and you give literally a step-by-step approach to mindset and how to really foster a passion in your life and the life you want to live. But I love this. I could have talked to you for so much longer, but you're such an inspiration. It's an honor to have you join us today, Pyle. Thank you. Thanks so much, Yasmin. This was lovely.